0: to this is your sporting life with Peter Donegan and it's great to have your company for another edition of this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives and today we celebrate the sporting life of a man who has certainly made his mark in the great game of Australian football most of it from the administrator's desk Adrian Anderson welcome thanks very much Peter Uh, it was a long time at the AFL Let's catch up on what you're doing now. What does life entail for Adrian Anderson at the moment?
1: A barrister these days, uh, Peter. So practising mainly in sort of sports law and also defamation, the main two areas. So running an inquiry for Greyhound Racing New South Wales and uh, representing various clients in the sporting area and also uh, defamation.
0: I'm not sure whether I can ask you now, because if you're running an inquiry for Greyhound Racing New South Wales, you don't want to get my opinion on all of this Greyhound racing business, because my first job, Adrian, was calling the Greyhounds. Yeah, right. I met a lot of great people in the Greyhound racing industry. Yep. I couldn't believe when that decision was handed down. I couldn't believe what they're doing in Canberra at the moment because it was just a blanket decision that affected the lives of so many people.
1: No, I couldn't agree with you more, Peter. So many good people, particularly in regional communities involved in the sport, and I was certainly uh, very surprised. And, you know, I think that... um you know, the government, it's a sport, racing, as you know, that's sort of ultimately been controlled by the, the government. So I think there's a sort of a responsibility there to try and make it work if there are failings. And, uh, you know, I know that they're, they're, uh, they're trying to make some inroads there.
0: A lot of people ask when you're calling football, as I do for a living uh, for six months of the year, about the allegiances. Uh, People may know that I have some little inclination (laughs) towards the black and white. Was it hard for you when you were at your time at the AFL? You had to make the uh, decision regarding Hawthorne in various matters at various
1: times. Do you just divorce yourself from uh, the fact that you're a lover of the football club? Yeah, look, I think um, you just know that you have to be impartial and that's your job. Um, So... Uh, just probably probably if anything maybe even more conscious when it's a matter involving Hawthorne to make sure you just do everything uh, right but like people would say to me um, you know who you barrack for and I thought some people sort of almost pretend that they don't have a team. And I said, well, if you're going to be involved in footy and you love footy as a kid, of course you've had a team. So no point denying that uh, they'd that, that, been my team. But um, no, I think if anything, they'd probably say along the way that I'd been harsher, if anything. Uh, so uh, you're sort of just conscious to make sure that you uh, do everything right when it's a, a team that you're barracked for.
0: Yes, occasionally people have accused uh, me of just being a little bit harsher. And I've <laughs> spoken to Stephen Quartermain about this, another great Hawthorne supporter who I call footy with. And his uh, contention is that you do go a little bit harder. You probably overcompensate a bit.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I and mean, I think I've, um, you know, it's like um, when I coach my son's footy team, the uh, St Kilda City Under 10s. And with your own son, I think sometimes I'm a little bit uh, probably harsher on him uh, because you want to make it clear that you're not playing favourites to the other kids. Uh, which is probably a bit hard, uh, hard on him but exactly right, I think that's the tendency
0: How's that going, coaching the under 10s Do you ever get the look from the uh, parents on the sidelines saying, that's that bloke who used to be at the AFL over there?
1: Oh yeah, occasionally but most people are really uh, really good about it and um, so many good people involved in uh, junior footy it's a great thing to be part of and last couple of years I've got a uh, huge uh, amount of enjoyment out of uh, coaching the kids, it's been sensational
0: Let's go back to when you were a kid where
1: did it all begin? Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up um, in a few places, but um, originally in uh, Camberwell, and, uh, and that's when uh, Dad would take us along to the uh, footy, watch the Hawks a bit. Then we went over to England as a family for a bit. I went to school over there. Um, we came back. I was at Dandenong Primary for a year where Dad was working out there, then Halebury, then uh, ultimately uh, Camberwell Grammar, um, where I was at school for most of my secondary school.
0: And so footy was something that was always very big in your early life?
1: It was. Um, I just, the, the, uh, I remember sort of, um, uh, vividly, uh, yeah, like as I said before, Peter Knights and Lee Matthews were the were the, the heroes at the time, and his dad was a Hawks supporter. Uh, growing up on a farm in Rosedale in Country Victoria, where Bert Mills had been a ruckman, used to come around every now and then, and uh, he'd been to the 1961 uh, grand final, and um, took us along in 1983, um, which was the start, obviously, of a of a great era, and um, that had always been my uh, number one sporting passion for sure, all the way through uh, school and young fella.
0: So, where did your early football take you? Who, who did you play for when you played as a young
1: fellow? So, I only um, played school. So, at Campbell Grammar, we had this fantastic coach, a guy called Doc Nays, who was the vice-principal of the school. He never taught me any subject at school, and people say, who's your biggest influence at school, it was actually my footy coach, who followed our team the whole way through, um, even though he never taught me in any, uh, any subject at school. And he was really passionate about it, and he had us playing a, a sort of style of footy that was ahead of the time, a running game. You know, switching the play. Um, Who had quite a talented team, so we were undefeated for a while as an AGSV team, which is unusual for Camwell at the time, and a great bunch of kids and uh, yeah it taught me a lot about the game and think about the game uh, tactically because he was a real uh, student of the game and it sent us pages of notes to read you know when we're under 12s under 13s and um, yeah just loved it. The
0: amateur game uh, the game for the love of it is something that's been very important to you in your football
1: life hasn't it? Yeah yeah it has I love playing footy um, after uni as well played just uh, old Melbournians I was working at Coors at the time um, sort of doing the media uh, law work for the Herald Sun and some other media um outlets so it's hard to sort of fit it all in but um yeah it's just such a great part of the life to be part of a part of a footy team and um uh playing in the Amos. um you know was a was a was a great period. I think I finished up was about thirty five or thirty six, far too old to keep playing but uh <laughs> no it was great fun.
0: You mentioned you did some work for the Herald Sun as a, a media advisor or a legal yeah. advisor. Yeah. What about today? It's a a different thing today, isn't it? And there's just been a case this week, a highly publicised case of a blogger coming out and finding himself in jail for some information that he released to the dissatisfaction of the court. It is very different these days, isn't it? Because the newspapers obviously would vet everything that they thought might have been borderline. Yeah. But there are so many other people out there acting as publishers now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a massive change. It was The Herald Sun, and back when I was acting for them as the main media law advisor, really The Herald Sun and The Age, the big two um, publishers and the big two media law practices. So what's changed, as you say, is the access to the internet. There are so... and Just about anyone can be a publisher these days. So the newspapers... you know some people might be uh, um, surprised to hear actually have pretty good processes in place or strong processes in place to vet you know, what you ultimately read in the paper but um, a lot of the people who are sticking stuff on the internet have no such uh, control and it means that there's been this sort of proliferation as you say of either defamation or contempt or other problems because uh, a lot of these people uh, just put stuff out, out there without uh, having it properly checked.
0: Well I'm sure that there was the odd comment or two when you were the football operations manager <laughs> of the AFL. We'll take a break and we'll come back and explore Your career at the AFL, some of the decisions that you were involved with, and how you actually got to get the position at the AFL as the two I see to Andrew Demetrio, Adrian Anderson is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives for more than 80 years. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donigan. Adrian Anderson is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. And as I mentioned, Adrian, we got to know you as uh, the Football Operations Manager at the AFL. How did that job come about?
1: Uh, well, I was, I was working at Cause as a, um, with a, a legendary media lawyer, actually, a guy called Grant Hattam, who some of your listeners no doubt will have heard of. And um, I'd organised to be a barrister as a first or second year lawyer. And um, then Grant tragically got sick, sick bowel cancer. And um, he asked me to stay and help him out and, and said I'd learn a lot. And he was right. So I ditched the plans to become a barrister. And um, very sadly, Grant, who I was very close to, passed away. And I mm. took on his practice. Uh, acting for the Herald Sun, and also doing sport law, acting for the AFL Players Association. Ron Joseph and a number of his players. Uh, we acted for Andrew Dunkley, you know, when he got an injunction to play in the grand final, for example. And um, so built that practice. And I came across Andrew Demetrio in that role when he was at the Players Association. And um, I think it must have been 2003, I'd just become a partner at Cause. And uh, Andrew called and I still remember the phone call and saying, uh, listen, would it be a a, a ridiculous um, suggestion to ask whether you might be interested in the general manager of football operations role? And um, immediately my ears uh, pricked up because I'd always loved the game and um, said, no, it wouldn't be ridiculous at all. And we had a coffee and I think they'd been looking for someone for a while. And um, just went from there. So I left uh, Cause, having been a partner for six months, uh, and um, and joined the AFL. I must have been in the start of two thousand and four. Um, and yeah, I, just, I was feel very privileged to have had the opportunity to have uh, to have worked there. Who was your predecessor? Uh, Ian uh, Andrew Andrew himself was. Right. So Andrew moved from being general manager of footy to. Um, ceo and that's when the opportunity opened up and back at that time general manager footy looked after more than just the footy it was also all the you know integrity stuff you know whether it's uh you know the rules gambling um drugs issues whatever else whereas now they're split out the footy side and the integrity side so
0: all of a sudden you walk into a job that you're In some ways familiar with, because you love Mm. your footy, but Mm. you're in one of the head offices of the biggest sporting code in this country. Was it Mm. a bit like being thrown in at the deep end?
1: Yeah, it was. I wasn't really sure what to expect, but other than that, I I was really excited and hoping to be able to make a positive influence in uh, an area that I'd always loved. And um, yeah, it was a bit of, I was 30 uh, 30 or 31 at the time. And um, uh, what surprised me, I think, is I'd always felt part of, you know, The footy community always being involved in some sense but some people perceive you as an outsider because you hadn't come from within the afl system or hadn't played at afl level or had a father who had or whatever else so that was a little bit of a shock that some people um you know treat and see you as a outsider even though the sport had been part of you know your life uh, from day dot Sometimes though it can be a good thing to get someone
0: who is in inverted commas an outsider rather than the pedigree that you're talking about because you find a different way of looking at something that they would look at under the normal prism of quote football people.
1: Yeah, I think that's right and I think that's partly what Andrew wanted. Um I think he wanted somebody with a to come in with a fresh sort of eyes and no sort of um, allegiances in that regard, um, and I think some people, most people, very good. I met you know, some fantastic friends and some people really kind in footy. I remember Neil Danaher right from the start being, you know, a really good um, person to talk to. And when we changed the ruck rule early on in my tenure, was a huge support. Some great people, but also some people who treated treat you a bit, which I was quite surprised as a bit of an outsider. And I think there were people who sort of had thought that they should be in that role or their some that they'd wanted in that role. So there's a little bit of that angst there that I hadn't sort of anticipated to be walking into.
0: I'm not asking you to rag on people who mm. didn't like your appointment, but yeah. is there one particular person who was particularly standoffish when you first got there, but you'd won them over by the end of your tenure?
1: Oh, look, I think there's a lot who are, who are sceptical. Um, and by the end, you know, we'd um, we'd become quite close. I know Lee Lee Matthews, for one, um we was probably you know we had a little bit frosty at the start. I think he thought that I was responsible for the Lions having to play a. Uh, oh yes. Uh, when when the fixturing wasn't actually within my um, uh, portfolio at that time, but you know uh, developed a really good relationship with Lee over the time, and his input on the Laws Committee was um, in, invaluable, and you know developed a really good uh, relationship with him, and he was very uh, very helpful and a great sounding board, uh, particularly on laws of the game. Rules issues. Um, Neil Craig was another one who was fantastic in that uh, that regard. Um, Neil Danaher, I mentioned um, there are a number of a number of people who, um, you know, I think um, Sheed's at the start. You know, I ended up appointing Sheed's as the first coach to a real existing coach to coach the international rules team um, and I think we uh, forged a, a good respectful working relationship over that time. So yeah there are a number um, Pete for sure.
0: So Adrian you, you get there in 2004 you've already said that you're not the man responsible for costing the Brisbane Lions a fourth premiership <laughs> so we're not going to put that on <laughs> you with the fixturing thing and the preliminary <laughs> final and all of that and it's water under the bridge. What was the first big project, the first big thing that you got yourself involved with that put your name out there in the public eye and
1: the first time you heard, this bloke doesn't know what he's doing? I think the first big thing was the tribunal system, Pete because um, I felt that there was a better way of doing things. You remember the old system where every Tuesday night and it was sort of at the discretion of the tribunal and there was I went around all the clubs and talked to all the coaches and you know um, administrators and there's a large degree of dissatisfaction so We made a decision to to change the system, and some of the people who had been involved in the AFL system in the past lost their roles. And I remember it was extremely controversial at the time when we decided to change the system, introduce a match review panel. And um, one of the guys who lost his um, role as an investigator was on the um, footy show show. uh, bagging me I got this message from Glenn Archer who I'd acted for in the past uh, and had a good relationship with and they said you're going to go get on the footy show straight away and defend yourself this bloke's going going bananas and um, and uh, I was tempted to, but Andrew said no that wasn't such a good idea mm. so um, let it roll but um yeah, I remember him getting on the Footy Show and saying basically he doesn't know what he's doing and this is going to be a disaster and whatever else. And I, I think that's one that there was a lot of scepticism and um, you know at the time um, uh, criticism about changing the tribunal system, but. You know, nothing's perfect um, and it's still got its critics but I think it's it's a whole lot um, better system than what it was and um, it's been further refined over the years since I've left by Mark Evans and others but um, yeah whenever you change something you learn in a public role like that you're bound for controversy and change is a, is a is a um, ingredient great ingredient for uh, fodder for the for media and p- opinions and whenever you change something and I and, and I'd probably maybe I change too many things but when you change something like the tribunal system you introduce an illicit drugs policy um, you change the rules you introduce a ruck rule that was probably the second big one you know what's this bloke doing changing the uh, the way the ruck contest works but we knew we had one in four ruckman in the competition with a PCL knee injury that's probably the second big one other than the tribunal system that a lot of criticism conjecture debate but i think over time it's been seen that that's been 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 a good one but whenever you change something you a lot you and it's probably the same for politicians and why they're so reluctant to change things sometimes you're really letting yourself um putting yourself up there for a lot of scrutiny and um, and debate and uh, criticism and we changed a few things in my time another one free agency um, yeah. came into the uh, competition obviously the rule changes to try and make it safer and better to watch so um, it was whether it was the interchange or the ruck rule or head down over the ball or kick the ball straight in from a point uh, all the not ha- holding and scragging after marks and free kicks all the things to try and make the game free flowing and also safer to play they were very controversial as well so um, probably a bit of a long-winded answer, but there are a number of things we change, and every time you do, uh, you're certainly putting yourself out there for a bit of uh, criticism and comment, but that's why you do the role, If, as far as I'm concerned. You, you, you're you there to do what you think's best for the game, and um, and it frustrates me a bit, you know, when you're watching the politicians sometimes, you feel that, that they won't do things because they know that it'll be unpopular, mm. but, you know, I think if when you're in a role like that at the AFL, unfortunately, the system in place is so good with the commission they're willing to support and endorse change if they think it's right that you're there to try and do what you think's right and hopefully most of those changes have uh, been for the better. Can
0: I just ask you about a couple of those changes? The sure. interchange cap for a start, you agitated pretty heavily for uh, a cap, yep. didn't you? Uh, and. It, I think it was knocked back at the time, but subsequently it did come in, and we're back to ninety now.
1: Yeah, look, we did. We, we, what we did was first we introduced a substitute, which is just a form of capping, really, that you can only rotate three instead of uh, four. Um, we looked at a cap or a sub at the time. Um, both of them have the same end effect of reducing the amount of interchange. Players but, were going to strike at one stage about yeah, the substitute Yeah, very, reel, very, very controversial or capping the interchange. They were. And, but I think when we introduced it wh- and, and the, a lot of the coaches hated it because they saw it as, you know, part of their armoury and uh, an advantage for them in some respects which is very interesting contrast with the way it involve, evolved in NRL where they stopped it before it got out of, um, out of control. But um, bringing it back I think made the game again a bit more open, a bit more free-flowing and from a injury point of view it's important to keep the game as a free-flowing continuous spectacle i think as opposed to some of the you know like nfl or um, even nrl to a certain extent which are more collision based sports i think it's an inherent part of our game to have a continuous free-flowing spectacle and if players are getting on and off, on and off, on and off for rest and can come out at full pace, it really ramps up the defensive side of the game. So, look, I think that the reducing the interchange has been good for the game and I think they could probably go further or should go further. Um, it's one of the things that would help alleviate congestion. To what? What
0: would be the cap, ideally, do you think?
1: Oh look if if it was it, it wasn't up to me we'd always discuss it at the laws committee but I'd bring it I'd bring it right back I think there's talk about radical things about having zones on the ground I think it's not that long ago that the game was played with a very limited interchange and we know how it looked and it wouldn't be Armageddon like some of the um, uh, some of the critics would have you believe and I think that um, you'd see more traditional Better footy as a result, the players would be a bit tighter, but that's that's um I think it'd have a really positive impact. so i'd if up to me i'd I'd scale it right back, but it's something that's controversial, and a lot of the coaches and players won't like that because that's ingrained now as to having those higher higher numbers. I'm sure there are people
0: laying in bed on a Sunday morning listening to this or whenever it might be, or perhaps driving to golf as you do sometimes <laughs> when you're listening to this program. Yep. and one thought might be going through some of their minds leave the bloody rules alone. Yeah. We tinker with the rules too much. What would yeah. you say to that? Well,
1: I'd say that that's, um, that's, uh, that's a flawed attitude because if we had have just left the games alo- the game alone, you'd have hardly any Ruckman left because that'll have uh, knee injuries. You'd potentially have a paraplegic or a quadriplegic because you're not protecting guys with their head down over the ball. And the spectacle would be a lot worse. Now, the coaches evolve the game and every sport around the world, changes its rules or should be in a position to change its rules and they do from time to time to make the game keep the game great to watch and safe to play and as so long as you have those parameters that you're trying to protect the fundamental aspects of the game which can be eroded as tactics and fitness and use of things like the interchange evolve over time uh, you need to make change to um, make sure that you're keeping the game great and keeping the game safe to play.
0: One last one on the match review panel stuff, Adrian. Um, do the match review panel have the right tools? I know you're never going to get a perfect system. You're trying to get it as close to perfect as possible. But when Basha Hooley essentially got two weeks from the match review panel for what he did and then Thomas Bug came out a couple of weeks later and got six, are we close to getting it right yet or are there still so many grey areas that you just on a case-by-case basis there are still going to be question marks raised over these decisions
1: I think there's always going to be grey areas, Pete. It's one of the great things about the game, you know, whether it's holding the ball or uh, you know, Basher-Hawley versus uh, um, Bug. And there's always going to be a role for human judgment. And wherever there's a role for human judgment, occasionally it goes wrong. And, um, you know, the AFL appealed the Basher one. I think that was the right call. It was a little bit light for what he d- did. And it was back to uh, four weeks, I think it was, at the yeah. time. So, uh, look there's no system that's going to be perfect and and, and you can't remove Human uh, judgment and the capacity from human error from time to time. Whether it's umpires, commentators, we all make mistakes. Administrators, we all make mistakes from time to time, and that's going to happen. And just the scrutiny of them at a uh, for level blows them up into a bigger, um, you know, it blows them up into a big issue. But it's never going to be a perfect system. Any disciplinary system is very hard because you, you as an umpire or you know a tribunal, you, you never, um, you're never, you're never going to win. Um, all you can do is try and be as consistent as you possibly can and explain yourself as well as you possibly can. Still lots to talk
0: about from your time in the big chair at the AFL and we'll do that on the other side of the break. Adrian Anderson is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, serving families across Victoria for more than 80 years. Back with more with Adrian on the other side of the break. Yeah! You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter donigan Great to have you with us for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals and Adrian Anderson is my special guest. Adrian, we talked about uh, a lot of the rule changes, the one that you brought in that stopped the injuries to the Ruckman. What about the other rule changes that you brought in? Uh, There was one particular incident I wanted to ask you about, not sure whether this was a rule change or not, but when Sydney had 19 men on the field at one stage, did you ever consider taking the game off them? For that thirty-second infraction
1: of having too many men on the field, you're testing my memory there, uh, Pete. Um, I, I I remember that it was at the time when the interchange was uncapped, and it was just a bit of mayhem, really, yes. on the on the. Um, keeping control of players running on and off because that I think the rotations in some cases were getting up 150, 160. Yeah. Um, so, look, I can't recall, uh, sorry to answer that particular question, but it was certainly um, a spur to the way that it was sort of evolving to say, is this to really look closely at the interchange and whether it was um, something that was positive for the game in the long term. Were you there when hands in the back came in? Yeah, yeah, that was certainly an interpretation that we brought in. It was like um, the end of the, the world, world when it happened. It was absolutely the end of the world. And the whole, the whole point of it, um, interestingly enough, is to... Encourage the marking contest. So Obviously, as my role, you're chairman of the laws committee as well as general manager of footy operations. So we have people like KB and Lee Matthews, et cetera, on the committee. But you're the chairman and you make the recommendations to the commission. And what we were trying to do with the rule changes is make the game safer to play. And I think there's no question that's happened. And to keep the game good to watch. And part of that was trying to keep it free-flowing continuous, but part of it was to try and protect the contested mark as a great feature of the game. And personally, I think the specy is one of the great things yeah. about our game. And we wanted to protect the specky. And what we we're noticing more and more in a mark, instead of a player jumping up and going for a specky or a mark, you sit there from behind and push out with the hand. And coaches were coaching players to do that. So we're actually trying to incentivise the great marking contest. Now coaches who are very influential in the media and they coach their players very well how to use those sort of tactics sometimes don't like changes like that and they very influential and it was a very controversial change. But I think that you know more needs even more needs to be done, Pete. These days to protect the marking contest. I, I think that often a player will get taken out um, of the contest by another defender when there's a two-on-one who hasn't got his eye on the ball, um, and we really need to to focus. Like hands in the back is part of this. To protect the specky and encourage players to jump up for great marks, because that is one of the great highlights. And I don't know what's happened to the contested mark numbers in recent years, but I suspect that those big jumps in 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 packs, or even two on one or one on one, the big jumps uh, and 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 great grabs have declined a bit. And I think it's something that the, you know the Laws Committee will obviously have to keep very focused on to make sure we don't lose that sensational highlight of the game.
0: Yeah, the chopping of the arms is probably the next extension to That's do right. what you're talking yeah, about.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, chopping the arms and also the player who's really this extra defender who hasn't got his eye on yeah. just clumsily, you know, accidentally uh, knocks a player out from being able to jump up and mm. uh, fly for the mark.
0: One last thing, was that the Jimmy Clement rule, the hands in the back rule? Because everyone said that it was mainly him.
1: No, definitely not. I mean, every rule is a nice way in the media to have a label like Jimmy <laughs> Clement or... I've forgotten the... It um, was all... The, the deliberate rush behinds was all... Uh, horse. It might have been Hodgie, was it? Or, yeah, Yeah, it no, no. The, all of these oh, things... Oh, no, it was it was a Joel Bowden and oh, Richmond? Oh, yes. It was, it was yeah. so, so-called so Joel Bowden rule. Yeah. But there was also... There were, the, each of these rules, we did, you know, work for, for months or years building the stats and analysing. And so it was never just one incident. You know, that's all part of... The looking at um, changes like hands in the back or deliberate rush behinds or the ruck rule or whatever, but you know it's a very um, and I think we tried to really build this as part of the football operations team when I was there, a very analytical, research-based approach uh, to changes. We did a huge amount of research on the laws of the game, and the doctors gave us great research about things like you know concussion. How do you protect players from head and neck injury better? Mm-hmm. Um, but and some quite sophisticated analysis about um, the, the laws of the, ga- uh, the 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 way the game's played and how it's evolved over time and the way it's trending.
0: I want to talk about one of the more controversial things that happen in your tenure. Um, we speak with our chat now late in the season coaches have come out and said they'll try players in different positions to see how they might go looking forward um, clubs are putting players in for operations so that they can get them involved in pre-season what's the difference between what they're doing and what Melbourne did when they were convicted of tanking,
1: yeah. Well, the conviction for Melbourne of tanking was after my time, uh, Pete. That happened, you know, after I'd finished. But it's, a, I think, the question's a good one. The same, the, the issue about what happens at the end of a season and um, what we did is we changed the priority pick rule. Remember, there was that real bonus for finishing motherless last that you, yeah, well, won less it, than four games. They called it get... the Cruiser Cup at one stage. Yeah, it? yeah. So what we did is we removed the priority pick. Um, as a uh, entitlement where you could say if you lost more than four games, whatever it was at the time, and really diluted that. And I think that really helped in that score, to that score. But if you've got a draft, you've always got the potential for people to um, feel that they're incentivised to finish at a lower position. Now, I had an idea that I um, raised with the um, commission and also the executive at the time that I really thought it was a good idea after, after each team had played each other once. Then you start... Knocking teams out uh, in the last five rounds, uh, five or six rounds of the year, and have some two two knockout games each round after they'd all played each other once, and then that would then. Put them in a position where you can make the finals from whatever position you are, but it's a hell of a lot harder because 17 and 18 are playing a knockout game. In uh, after they've all played each other once, and then they play for the right to play the next couple of uh, teams, and the, and and so on. It's a bit complicated, and I haven't explained it very well. But I thought that was a really is a really good option, and I know I see that it's back on the table, and I think there's a real potential for the AFL to do something exciting and really add some more interest to the tail end of the season when a lot of teams. Um, supporters know they can't make it anymore and losing interest so um, I still think the, the, the I, I think the guys involved in the broadcaster I thought it might Dilute you know reduce yes. the content, but in my mind it make it much better, exciting content. Even if you've got a bit less content, it'd be a lot better. And mm-hmm. it would also help address this sort of speculation because everyone who's alive and knows that they're a chance of making the finals will still be going their hardest. So um, I'd love to I'd love to see the way it evolves. I think there's a potential for something really exciting to happen there, and I hope they follow through on that. When
0: you said um, you were gone when Melbourne was sanctioned, you were involved in the hearings though at the time, weren't you?
1: No, not for Melbourne. Okay. No, 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 I wasn't. No. Right. Gill had taken over as football operations uh, general manager of football operations, um, and I and and I can't even recall exactly how it finished it. I don't think they even had a hearing at the end. I wasn't no. quite sure how that panned out.
0: How did Adrian Ben Cousins never return a positive drug test? In light of what we know now, uh,
1: well, quite simply, Pat. I think he was well on his way before, way before the illicit drugs policy was ever introduced. Very sadly, um, and. I think that that the policy um, and the testing that's been done under the guise of the doctors of all the clubs and the AFL doctors, um, a young Ben Cousins coming through the system now, I reckon have a pretty good chance of getting picked up. And I know that there's a number of players who've had issues that because of that testing and because that policy came in, have been picked up and interventions happened. So I reckon that that policy is probably um hopefully touch wood saved another other incidences of that coming through i think because by 2000 whenever it was five six when we introduced the illicit drugs policy he was obviously um in retrospect well down that path and it's a very um you know it's a very uh, sad story and he'd worked out obviously at that point in time i don't know exactly with the the testing how he'd managed to evade and what he did to uh, to evade positive tests he would have been target tested uh for sure um no system's perfect but that system was there to to help people who needed help and i think he was um obviously in a in a um Probably in a position where he'd he'd already got to a level where he might have been um, very difficult to help. I know he had a lot of his club men over backwards, and you know so many people have tried to, to help him, and it's a very sad situation. I really hope that um, you know that that one day he's able to uh, he's able to get things right.
0: One last question on the drugs policy, Adrian: Is three strikes the right way to go?
1: Um, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky one. It's such a hard area. What, what we did was get advised by the doctors to say, cause it was a medical issue and say, what's the best way of handling this? We don't know. It's such a prevalent issue. 30% of kids in Australia taking, you know, illicit drugs. So AFL football is going to be part of it. How do you deal with it? And they said, well, the best way is to try and intervene and give them confidential testing, give them a couple of Chances, so we really followed that the medical advice. It was really sad to see, you know, I think it was a couple of politicians, Christopher Pine and the um, Attorney General at the time, come into the AFL and say, you know, we want to be tough on drugs, two strikes. Uh, this is in the lead up to a federal election, um, uh, and 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 then. You know what was really embarrassing for them is it turned out it was completely contrary to the federal government policy on how to deal with illicit drugs, and they criticised the AFL for having a drugs policy when no other sport even was even testing for illicit drugs out of competition. So that was a bit of a frightening insight into the way the uh, the political uh, system can operate sometimes. But fortunately, I think um, I think there was a you know an interview. Uh, uh, it backfired the whole idea of intervening because it became very apparent that um, what they were saying was nonsense and um, yeah but you know whether two strikes one strike whatever such a hard issue but I think what we tried to do on these things is be guided by the experts how are you best likely to help young players avoid problems with drugs or if they've got them to help them and mm. you follow that expert advice and, you know, it was controversial again. Um, but I think that, again, I look back and say, you know, we've done, we did what we possibly could to try and follow the expert's advice about what's the best, most advanced way of helping people, helping those people. And that's what we did.
0: One last point on the drugs, Adrian, and that is that if you talk to anyone of the younger generation, they will tell you how freely available any of this stuff is anywhere. Would it be folly to stick our heads in the sand and think that young people with a very high disposable income and quite often a bit of time on their hands who have dieticians telling them don't go out and get on the drink because your skin folds won't be right? Would it be folly to think that they are not engaging in this? Do you think that the problem is, as Dale Lewis said
1: many years ago, endemic? No, I wouldn't... Well, it's endemic in society. So the, to the extent it's endemic in society, be endemic in football. So, yes, it, it, in in other words, it's, we know from the testing that was done and the hair testing that, yes, there were a lot of players, particularly in the off-season, who would experiment or use illicit drug from time to time. I, I can't remember the exact figures, but it was... Certainly, if it was 30% in society, it might have been 10% in AFL, for example, as a sort of a comparison... So, of course, they're going to be... uh, subject to the same sort of issues that happen uh, in in society. But not more so, no. I didn't think it was any more so than the normal community. But when it involves AFL football, it gets a lot more uh, attention and oxygen. And that's one of the great things about being part of the AFL is that you, you have the opportunity on issues like that to try and set a really positive example. And you don't always get it
0: right. Let's take our final break and we'll come back and talk about the future of the game and where you see it going now. We've had some exciting changes. The women. Uh, with that great season that they had earlier this year and also the expansion teams get your thought on how they're going at the moment. Adrian Anderson is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives, 23 chapels across Victoria and you can find out more online at tobinbrothers.com.au. Our final segment with Adrian on the other side of the break. Yeah! Have done it! You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donigan. Our final segment on this is your sporting life with Adrian Anderson for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We talked about the beginnings, Adrian. How did it all end at the AFL?
1: Good. Um, Look, it was obvious at the end of my tenure, I'd done the same role for nine years. and always had new things to work on, whether it was the tribunal system or um, a free agency uh, negotiating the collective bargaining agreement with the players which was the last big thing I was involved in um, the, the the rule changes what have you introducing the integrity unit and and at that point in time I, I'd looked at uh, and asked whether you know I could take on a, um, a role in international uh, looking after the international aspect of the game to try and expand the role whatsoever and there obviously was an opportunity to to take the role that I was doing um further and I felt that you know I'd done what I could in that particular role and um and then and it was at the time where uh, it was clear that um Andrew had really anointed Gil to move on as the CEO it was good timing um so um uh, I've, I feel very fortunate uh, to have had the opportunity to to work in that role uh, for that time in in that in in footy and uh and um i think the timing you know eight nine years was uh was probably right
0: i spoke about you sitting in the big chair but you didn't sit in the big big chair did you ever aspire to sitting in andrew's chair in gill's chair
1: um it was never really an objective uh of mine i i was open-minded to see the way things sort of evolved um, uh, at the AFL. So I, it wasn't something that I'd sort of targeted or really set my sights on, um, but it wasn't something that I'd sort of ruled out as a possibility. Um, but it became clear, you know, towards the end of my time there that, um, you know, Andrew had clearly anointed Gill and for very good reason, obviously, uh, to be the next um, CEO. So, um, yeah, look, that that's that's pretty much the way I saw it.
0: I mentioned the women's competition before we went to the break. Did you think that it could possibly make an impact in such a short time, that that one season? And it was, let's be honest, it was rushed in. Uh,
1: I think everyone acknowledges that, but it was such a success. Um, it was a su- It's fantastic. Um, I think that... Um you know, the the involvement of women in our game has been one of its great competitive strengths. You go along the footy and how many women are there compared with go along to an NRL game or a soccer game or whatever else, uh, you know, the Premier League game in England is fantastic and it's one of the secrets to the success of the game. And when you look back, it's obvious really that we should have been doing um, more a long time ago to really celebrate the playing of the game by women at an elite level. So I think it's really sort of provide another forum for women who are so passionate about the game um, to show what they can do on a big stage and it's really um, fantastic to see and you know I'm involved with junior footy as I said before coaching the number of girls teams and um, it, it's really crucial I think to the ongoing success of the game to make it a game for everyone like it's always been and but really to give women the scope to really expand their involvement in the playing side of it uh, sensational
0: and on the subject of being crucial to the well-being of the game going forward, the expansion teams, you were there when they first came into the competition. Yep. It seems as though the Giants are going to win a premiership sometime soon um, over the next couple of years. How are the Gold Coast travelling at the moment? Are they, are they going to justify the amount of money that's been spent on them?
1: It's interesting. Uh, time will tell. I think that um, I expected them to do better than they have so far, but I think that there's probably a number of factors as to... To why they haven't, I think the the commission um, showed great leadership in uh, expanding the competition to Greater Western Sydney and Gold Coast. I mean, there are areas of the country that growing big areas, particularly GWS, and there's a huge amount of work still to be done there. But if you want to be the number one national sport, you need to be um, you need to be more. Active in those markets and having more people fans of your game in your game in um, GWS and also uh, Gold Coast. So, look, I think it's um, uh, it was a it was good leadership, particularly Mike Fitzpatrick, very strong leadership about expanding the game into those markets. And you know, GWS they they might win uh, one, they might not look like a fantastically talented side. And I think sometimes their their coaching staff and their people get undersold for the good job they're doing, where people say, oh, they're so talented, whatever. Um, I actually think that, you know, they've got very good people involved throughout the mm. throughout the club. Um, but it's a huge challenge up there. But if you want to have a truly national game um, and the game that's uh, the, the, the best game for everyone in the country, uh, there's a lot of work still needs to be done. And having teams there is a crucial part of that.
0: It's been fascinating to get your insights on the time when you were in the chair and making so many decisions that involved uh, all of us because we love the game just as you do. Now you can go to the footy and you can scream your lungs out for Hawthorne and no one cares. You can go to the golf course and good luck with the coaching of the under-10s. Adrian, it's been a pleasure to sit down and talk to you.
1: Thanks very much, Pete. Appreciate it.
0: Adrian Anderson, the former General Manager of Footy Operations at the AFL, joining us on this edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals and you can catch us same time next week from 7 o'clock right here on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport.
1: Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Backers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.